Welcome to Outdoors. I'm Brian, and this morning we have Jason, mechanic from Owen House, here to talk about bike maintenance and how to get your bike operating in its best possible way. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. So we were just talking about how uh, summer is here and officially, and it is crazy busy at the bike shop. Uh, it's true. As soon as the sun comes out and it's past like February, uh, everybody starts thinking about bikes rather than skis. <laughs> it's a, it's a quick, uh, you know, there's no shoulder season anymore, I guess, with like places like, uh, you know, um, Copper City and, you know, desert riding. It seems like you could just roll from one to the next. Yeah, that's right. And I think, um, you know, Copper City in particular, I think that was, uh, that was a pretty good idea. Um, that, and that, I think that was exactly what their goal was, was to have a place where, you know, people could go like the day after they stopped skiing. And I think it's been really successful in that. Yeah. So, so you're a mechanic at Owen house. Um, how long have you been there and kind of how, how'd you get started doing that? Uh, people always say this, it's kind of a funny story, but um, it actually is. Uh, I moved to Bozeman four years ago for my wife's job. She works for, uh, she works for the city of Bozeman. Um, and I, I used to be the marketing uh, manager for Scratch Labs, uh, a drink mix, sports, sports drink company out of Boulder, Colorado. And when we moved to Bozeman, uh, I did uh, the Mystic 40 mountain bike race. And um, Eric, who owns Owen House, uh, was helping to put on that race. And I was lucky enough to win that day. And I came across the finish line and he was the first person I saw. And um, so he was one of the first people I met. That was like a month after I moved to Bozeman. Hmm. Uh, so he was one of the first people I met. And then uh, about a year later, you know, we, we had been hanging out in this time period. And then about a year later, he asked me to become a mechanic. And that was sort of ironic for me because uh, I raced uh, road bikes in Europe professionally for about five years. And so I knew how to ride bikes really well, but uh, I didn't know how to work on them. And so Eric said that, and I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know how to work on bikes. I just know how to ride them. Um, ultimately, what was really cool about that was that, you know, even though I didn't have the skill set, um, you know, he saw, um, he, he saw some potential in me and was willing to invest in me to learn how to do it. And so now four years later, um, you know, I think we are, we are probably, we are, we are becoming one of the best shops in the region. Um, we do a lot of suspension service, uh, full service on all suspension parts. And um, Eric sent me to school for that. Um, I went, I went all over the country for a couple of seasons, like trying to learn stuff. And, uh, and, you know, as a result, we've been able to add, add that really important piece to our businesses. Cause as you know, like that's what people want to do when they come to Bozeman is uh, ride mountain bikes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's been really, really, really cool to be a part of that. And, uh, and um, I'm happy to say that I really love my job. We had, a, we had another mechanic that was working for us that's been in the industry for like 15 years and he wrenched for Shimano and he's a referee for the UCI. And he would always laugh at me because he's like, you're the only pro racer that I know that went from racing to being a mechanic. He's like, it just doesn't happen that way. Uh, but I really enjoy it. I really like working with my hands and, uh, I enjoy working with the customers and 
um, Eric, I couldn't ask for a better, a better boss and a better support structure than Owen house. Nice. So there, there's a bit of a learning curve with the, the new bikes and the new technologies, right? Um, like I, I'm not a mechanic and, uh, you know, I, I, because the shops are so busy, I find myself doing a lot of my own repairs because the more I ride, the more I break stuff or wear things out, you know? So, right. so what do you, I, I want to ask you, what do you see as the most common thing people try to do themselves to screw up and then bring you guys to fix? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, is bleeding hydraulic brakes mm. and uh, changing pads. Mm. And, you know, there's, the, I, I mean, just like anything these days, you know, you can, you can Google something and find it online. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I've discovered is that, is that even though the video tells you what to do, um, after you have, after you've, you know, gone through that procedure 150 or 200 times, mm-hmm. there's all these little tiny things that the videos don't tell you that you need to be able to do. Um, we have had more than one bike come into the shop where uh, the people, uh, the customer tried to take the caliper apart as opposed to like, and all they were trying to do was install brake pads. Uh-huh. So. And what that came down to was that they just loosened the wrong bolt on the on the caliper. Um, so you know stuff like that. Just being able to recognize where things are, you know, there. Um, and I think, and I really believe this. You know, I think there's a lot of people that have mechanical aptitude, and I think there's a lot of people that don't. And I think you just need to recognize within yourself if you are one of those people or not. And then. Obviously, the next step is to, you know, just have some faith in us uh, that we, you know, we really, really want to help people. Um, We want to help people's bikes uh, ride smoothly and consistently and safely. And, you know, our intentions are always good. And like we if we can do education for you and help you to do something yourself later so that you don't have to come see us, um, we are always willing to take the time to do that. so yeah, brake calipers and then changing cable and housing on shifters is something too that we see a little bit. Uh, and honestly, like just being able to adjust the derailleur. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is that, you know, Molly, Molly has done such a good job with, you know, integrating the community with the bike shop, uh, uh, you know, uh, putting on these service clinics where the mechanics at Owen house get to interact with the customers and, you know, teach them some things that we do every single day. And so what I found in, in that whole process is that, you know, just showing people, showing people quickly, like how derailers actually work and like what the cable is actually doing, you know, how it's the communication point between the shift lever and the derailleur, uh, you know, and where the derailleur's resting point is, is, and what the cable is doing to pull the derailleur across the cog set. Um, you know, people, once people get a clear explanation of that, um, you know, a light bulb goes off and then, you know, they, they can, they can actually fiddle around with it and, and figure out how to make it work correctly. And that's always, that's always pretty cool to see. Yeah. It's, you know, it kind of reminds me of the progression of sports. So in, in cycling, there's, you know, you learn how to pedal before you learn how to jump. And so Right. Kind of like, you know, baby steps for doing the maintenance work as well. You, you got to know how to do like ABCs, air brake, uh, test, test your chain, that kind of stuff before you start looking into doing more complex stuff like you're talking about, you know, suspension or brakes. Those things are a lot more complex. Um, but I think your point of, you know, actually talking to some experts 
and you know maybe you're not doing a full mentorship program or something like you'd be the full mechanic but i think most people would benefit from just being able to have that in person you know question and answer like hey how does this work to get the basic concept of how things are supposed to be um, cuz a lot of that does get get missed on youtube videos you know, even even last night, I was I was changing up my brake pads, and I had done it before, but of course I couldn't remember. <laughs> right, it was like scratching my head. There's all sorts of little nuances that where if you're doing it a hundred times, obviously you figure out like all these little quirks that you you can tweak in, and that's the stuff you're not going to get unless you're a professional or talking to professional. So yeah, I can really appreciate that. Um, so you guys are also, as I understand, the only shop in town that's doing bike rentals this year. Uh, wow. I didn't know that. Uh, that's really interesting. I, I feel like, you know, with where, with where the outdoor industry as a whole is with, uh, inventory and parts issues, uh, I, I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, and I'm glad that, I'm glad that people, you know, who don't necessarily have, would have the funds to, you know, be able to buy a full suspension bike for themselves. I'm glad that they at least have an option to go try one out. Um, yeah, that's, that's tough, man. It's tough when, you know, when, uh, people don't get the opportunity to at least, to at least try that stuff and, you know, get, get another perspective. Yeah. And, and there's such a different, one of the things I'm trying to do in the book is, you know, highlight there's all kinds of bikes for mountain biking. You know, you get your cross country bike, you get your trail bike, enduro bikes, downhill bikes, free ride. There's all of this stuff that are all just these, these tweaks that make the whole riding that much different, you know? Right. So, so for people to be out, be able to go out and try kind of a, a, a range of those. And I know in the past, you guys have had probably the widest selection of types of bikes to try out in the rental fleet. Um, so anyway, I think that's great. You guys are still able to do that with, the lack of supply these days. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, I, I think the gravel bike niche is, is one of the more interesting that's coming up because, you know, 10 years ago, you adventurous souls would just take their road bikes onto the gravel, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget like the first few times that I rode a road bike, I came up to like a piece of gravel road and I stopped and I'm like, Oh man, this is a road bike. I, you know, I, I can't ride this on the gravel. And I literally remember picking it up and like getting onto the sidewalk and setting it back down on the pavement, you know, 150 yards later, like yeah. walking down the sidewalk in my cleats, like an idiot. Um, but you know, it's, I, I think that, that niche, you know, and like bigger tires on a you know, on a more road geometry frame and being able to explore dirt roads. Uh, you know, I think that's, it's, it's super interesting. And, it's, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's another way for the industry to just sell us another bike. But I do believe with the way that the technology has gone and the way that the geometry of those bikes has changed from, you know, a more traditional road setup to something that you can ride on really steep, uh, loose gravel roads, you know, with, with uh, you know, with even a dropper post and, you know, some of the curved mustache handlebars and, uh, and disc brakes, you know, that it's it, like you said, um, it opens up a whole new world for people. And I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, I've been talking with GVLT and some other, and uh, uh, the Bozeman community organization, or excuse me, the Big Sky community organization about how to connect more trail systems so we don't have such a bottleneck at the trailheads. And, you know, my, right. my favorite thing around here is just literally ride from my house, get up, um, you know, either the, the mountain, 
the main, main street to mountains trails up to the Bridgers or, you know, Highlight, Bear Canyon, uh, Mo Moser, that sort of thing. And those gravel bikes, if you're halfway on the road and, and you're going to do, you know, more like double track, like, like Moser, that sort of thing, it's just a perfect fit for that sort of thing where it doesn't have to be so technical. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Main Street to Mountain. I'm, I, I live out, I live out in Valley West and, you know, using those trails to get over to Pete's Hill and then to Highland Glen and then to Painted Hills and then to Triple Tree. Um, I was so stoked when those, uh, you know, when the, those trails finally got put in and I, it's, it's really nice that we're able to do that stuff in a town the size of Bozeman. Um, cause I'm the same way as you, like if I can avoid putting my bike on the car, getting in the car, driving it out, getting my bike off and then riding it, but just like rolling out the door, like that's what I want to do. Even if it adds another 30 miles to the ride, I would much rather do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but it's just every time I have to put my bike rack on, I'm like, Oh <laughs> yeah, I agree. Totally agree. So, so when you're out in the, in the mountains, far, you know, far away from anybody, what is your kit? What is your mechanic kit that you bring with you? You know, I, like, like everything, uh, you know, being, being prepared is the most important thing and being, and when I say it in this context, it's not necessarily what you're preparing for the ride. It's what kind of shape the bike is in before you even roll out the door. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, I think it's more important that your bike is already clean and working consistently and you know the state of all of the wear items on the bike um, before you even leave the house. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can't prevent that happens out in the backcountry. And so that being said, um, you know, I carry a really traditional kit. You know, I, one of my favorite rides to do around here is, is Bear Canyon and then go all the way down to South Cottonwood and I'll ride it from town, you know, and that's like, it ends up being like 65 or 70 miles. Um, and even though I'm doing something of that distance on my hardtail mountain bike, uh, I, I, you know, I don't carry a chain breaker. Basically what I do is I replace, I replace my chain really frequently because if there's anything that you can do to have a reliable drivetrain, it's to replace your chain at, at regular intervals. Because what that does is it, it doesn't cause premature wear on the cassette or on the chain rings. Um, so, you know, if you, if you know that that chain only has three or 400 miles on it, mm -hmm. uh, I think you're a lot less likely to run into issues when you actually get out onto the trail. Mm -hmm. Um, and so obviously I carry tubes, um, a I carry at least two tubes at all time and all times. And that's mostly because of Murphy's law. Like I always, I always feel like after you get that first flat, you get the first tube in and you know, you're kind of rushing cause you want to get back to it. And then, uh, you end up pinching that one because you don't get enough air in the tire. You don't get the bead seated on the rim. Um, so I always carry two tubes. I always carry a, uh, tire lever because uh, sometimes beads can be really hard to get off. Um, and I always carry uh, a five and a four, five and six Allen key. And I actually like to carry the long ones. I do. I carry a multi-tool as well, but I also carry long ones because uh, sometimes it's just easier to get to, you know, hard to reach bolts that might be loose. If you've got, if you've got a long handle one with a little bit more leverage. Um, and and the other thing that I think about is, you know, like, who am I going out with? You know, what, what can I bring? What can I bring that could potentially help them if they get into a jam? 
you know, and most of that stuff is pretty, and you can get like, you know, I'll carry a 26 inch tube, even though I have 29 inch, uh, even though I have 29 inch wheels, because that tube is going to stretch just fine, but it'll also work in a 26 inch wheel. If I, you know, if I'm riding with, you know, my, my older daughter or something, cause she's on a 26 inch bike. Um, but not necessarily the other way around, you know, you can't really jam a 29 inch tube into a 26 inch tire. Yeah. Uh, what else, you know, I know a lot of people out here that ride frequently that carry chain lube with them. And I think that is, I think that's a pretty smart idea because that again, you know, adds a layer of reliability to the, to the drivetrain, because if the chain is lubed really well, you're not going to miss very many shifts. Um, it also depends on the type of chain lube that you're using. You know, these typically these people are carrying wax-based lube, which is the really light stuff. And I really like wax-based lube because it keeps the drivetrain really clean. Um, the con to wax-based lube is that it doesn't stay on for very long. Um, so, you know, if you use a more oil-based lube, it stays on a lot longer, but because it's really sticky and heavy, it attracts a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so I, I have this conversation a lot with customers and it's all personal preference. It's, you know, if you like to have a clean drivetrain and, but lube your chain every single ride, or if you like to lube your chain once and then forget about it for, you know, six, seven, eight rides and then have a dirty drivetrain. It all just depends on what you want on, uh, you know, where you want to spend your time, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, what, what are the, some of the best practices you'd recommend for, for folks keeping their bike in best, best uh, running shape? Um, like one would be when you get back, just clean it every time <laughs> or what, what do you recommend? Um, you know, the, and I, I tell people who come to our maintenance clinics, this, I, I tell them this all the time, you know, the, a, a clean bike is a happy bike. Um, it, and it really does make a big difference, but not necessarily for the reasons that you might expect. Obviously the bike works great when it's clean, but the thing that, the thing that you start to discover when you're cleaning that bike after every couple of rides is that you just get more familiar with the parts. You get more familiar with how things look, how they feel like is our, you know, as you're going through the drivetrain, you know, you might, you might, um, brush the sponge over your rear derailleur and see that the derailleur hanger that, you know, what connects the derailleur to the bike frame, you know, that hanger might be loose and that might be why the shifting is a little bit off. So you, you just start to get more familiar with, you know, how the bike looks and how it runs when it's, when it's in really good shape and when things start to get loose and wear out. So I, you know, as important as it is to just have a clean bike, um, I think it's more important to just be really diligent with that process because you'll just get more familiar with your bike um, and, you know, how it looks in each, in each progressive state of wear. Mm -hmm. And so what, what other things should people be as they're looking over their bike, uh, paying, paying attention to before they go out riding? Um, obviously stuff like that. I mean, the, the, the safety, the safety features on the bike are the biggest thing. So, yeah. So, so when you wash your bike, let's start there. Um, a good citrus degreaser is for the drivetrain is, is really, really important. And it's important to, um, as opposed to spraying it on, it's really important to paint it on. Um, and because that way, because if, if you're spraying it, the, the degreaser ends up getting in a lot of places that you don't necessarily want it. Uh, in particular, I'm talking about like brake rotors and in the brake caliper. And we don't, we, we really want to try hard not to contaminate those surfaces because that'll cause inconsistent braking. 
So we want to paint degreaser on the drivetrain. And if we do that as the very first step in our cleaning process, and then we use, you know, Dawn, regular Dawn dish soap and hot water and a big fat sponge that we can shove into all the creases in the bike. You know, if we, so we paint on the degreaser on the drivetrain, then we use the Dawn soap and the sponge. Um, by the time you get done sponging off all the cracks, all the creases and crevices on the bike, um, and then you start to spray it off with, with warm water or using a bucket full of warm water, uh, you know, that degreaser gets everything off the drivetrain and then the whole bike is clean. Um, so it's that, that sort of process um, is a really effective way to get the most bang for your buck for the time that you're spending cleaning the bike. And then, you know, as you're working through that, the last, you know, then, then we always use a nice clean cloth to, to dry it off. And again, you're just going over all, all parts of the bike, inspecting the frame, inspecting the cable and housing, making sure all the fittings on the hydraulic brake hoses are in line, you know, making sure that everything's running well, looking for cracks in the tires. Um, you know, if you've, if you've had a puncture recently and you put a plug in there, making sure that that plug is okay, you know, making sure the wheels are true all that stuff. And all you're doing is, is as you're drying the bike off, you're just sort of looking at this stuff and seeing, you know, seeing what kind of state it's in. Um, and then the last thing to do is, uh, is to make sure that you, if you're running, if you've got hydraulic brakes to make sure that those rotors are, are really, really clean again. And, um, what I tell people who come to our maintenance clinics is, you know, get, get a, a roll of those blue heavy duty uh, shop paper towels and uh, a spray bottle with some 99% isopropyl alcohol in it. And you saturate that towel and then you uh, pinch the brake rotor front and rear and just run it through a few times. And what that isopropyl alcohol does is it gets any contamination that might be on the surface that might've hit that rotor during the cleaning process. Um, it gets it off there. And then that'll, that'll ensure that, you know, you, you keep having consistent braking and you don't get howling, um, which is a really common problem that we see uh, with people bringing their bikes in. And once the, once the rotor starts howling, um, you know, really the only way to get rid of it is to get new parts, yeah. mm -hmm. which is, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's just really hard to get that stuff out because when the rotor heats up, any contaminant that was on the surface goes under that first layer of metal. And then when it cools back down, it's basically impregnated in the brake road. Yeah. And then you're, you're sort of screwed. That that's exactly what happened to mine last night. Cause I had to, you know, looking at my pads and I had to take them off and I can finally start to tell when they're worn out, if they're super, like just a couple of millimeters thin, you know, yep, yep. So I could tell the first one was shot. It, so I've had them so bad where they actually start metal on metal scraping and then the rotor is yeah. shot too. <laughs> so yeah. I guess paying attention to that squeal is really important. But the thing I didn't realize is the rear, I took them out and they're like, now they look good. They're thick enough, but they had a weird discoloration on them. I went okay. around, rode around the, the block and squealing, squealing, squealing. So I realized they must have been, uh, rotors must have been contaminated, which contaminated the brake pads and basically baked that in and made them just permanently squeaky and non-stopping. <laughs> so I took yep. those out and replaced those too. So yep. um, I don't feel bad about that. That happens to all of us. <laughs> well, well, I think, it, you know, it's tricky because it's a hard thing to, to figure out when are these shot or not. I've heard like, well, you should, can just right. look at them from the outside of your bike and I can't tell. Is, is there an easier way to tell or do you just really pay attention to the sound of it and just try to keep uh, spraying them off with alcohol and cleaning them all the time? Yeah. So if, you know, if you're, if you're diligent about keeping them clean and, you know, you're, you don't have any other 
you know, any other issues like uh, leak, like leaks in the hoses or anything um, that might contaminate them. You know, really, you just have to pay attention to uh, the thickness of the pads, as you mentioned, you know, just, just sighting into the caliper, you know, every couple of rides to see how much pad where pad life you have left. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then the thickness of the rotor, and that's not necessarily something that you guys need to worry about, but that is something that we check mm -hmm. on every single bike that comes into the shop mm -hmm. because every manufacturer has a minimum thickness that they, that they say for rotors before you have to replace them. And that, you know, that comes down to safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of that, you know, it's when it comes down to measuring the millimeters, that's probably stuff that's better left to the bike shop. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Unless you've got a caliper at home. I mean, it's very easy to do. It's just, most people don't have a caliper. Yeah. Cause there's specific tools that you will have that most people just won't have because you don't right. use them that often. Yeah. Right. So um, I, I guess other than that, the thing that I think of, is the shifting, you know, so people always have trouble, um, you know, with uh, the shifting dragging or clicking or making sounds. And yep. so how do you recommend for people to do the fine adjustment on the trail to be able to dial those in? You know, we, we talked earlier about, you know, finding YouTube videos and um, I am going to come back and say that, you know, uh, Park Tool in particular, um, Park Tool is a, is a tool manufacturer for that, you know, sells, sells tools to consumers and to professional mechanics on every level. And, um, you know, they realize that part of their job is education. And so they really do have some great videos on their websites in particular for, um, you know, the more basic aspects of, of bikes and how they, and how they function and their, uh, their video on, on how to adjust derailers is, is fantastic. And it's basically the same, you know, it's the, it's the same set of steps that, that, that we use, you know, when we do our maintenance clinics here at Owen house. Hmm. Um, and so the big thing there is to realize that if the bike, you know, if the bike is more than a few seasons old and it gets ridden, you know, a couple of times a week, at least, um, if it's cable run, you know, obviously there's electronic shifting systems these days that don't have cable and housing. Um, but for a traditional cable and housing system, you know, the cable, what ends up happening is the cable gets a lot of dirt onto it and it gets jammed inside the housing and then the cable just doesn't move through the housing well. And so a lot of times the reason that the derailleur won't stay in the gear that you are shifting it to is because there's just a lot of buildup inside that cable and housing system. So replacing that um, usually makes it shift a lot more consistently. And one thing that people, um, that people are always surprised when I tell them is that, you know, if you have a, if if you've got either a grip shift system or a paddle shifter, um, when that stuff gets really hard to push or twist, that's a really good indication that you need new cable and housing because that the action on, on, on those mechanisms should be really light, easy to push, easy to twist. And so when it gets really hard, which it will after a few seasons of riding, if it's never been replaced, um, that's a good indication uh, aside from, you know, the chain just not staying in the gear that you've selected. Um, that's a really good indication that uh, you need to get some, you need to get some fresh parts on there. Mm. Great. Yeah. Excellent. So um, what are you most excited about for this upcoming season? Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, we, we have not been a full service suspension shop for very long. I mean, literally this winter was when um, we got all of the, all of the necessary tools from, uh, from, 
Fox factory to be able to do full service on their suspension. And we can do it on rock shocks as well. Um, and then a couple of other brands, but, uh, that's what I'm most excited about is to be able to offer that to people because there just aren't a lot of shops, uh, around the country that are, that are willing to take the time needed to spend on suspension. And, you know, another piece to think about there is, you know, the learn is the learning curve. And I, I say that, I say that in regards to myself, you know, sometimes it'll take me, it'll take me half of a day to get one shock done. And that's a, that's a lot of time, you know, and, and I totally understand that, that there's a lot of shops that, you know, it's, it's easier for them to just send it out to have Fox do it. But, you know, the fact that we are able to take that amount of time um, to get somebody's stuff working, um, working smoothly and, you know, not have the wait time that you would get uh, by sending a shock back into the factory to get serviced. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's really important. And I think it's, uh, that's a really great feature that we're, that we're offering to customers out here. And that's, that's definitely what I'm most excited about. I, it can be an aggravating, difficult process, but it can, it's also really rewarding when everything comes together. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it works or not, it's a tangible thing, right? It's, it's a neat thing. Yeah. That, yeah. Something satisfying about that. Well, Dave, yeah. thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, where can people go to learn more about um, rent, renting bikes with Owen house or, or to uh, schedule maintenance? Uh the best thing to do for scheduling maintenance is to just come into the shop with your bike. Um, I, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you're familiar with NPR and uh, click and clack the Taffert brothers. You know, one thing I love about those guys is that, you know, when people describe how their bikes or cars are working over the phone, it just, it, it really does devolve into comedy because we all have different ways of explaining how things work. So yeah. the best thing to do is, to bring your bike into the shop that way we get a look at it and we can talk face to face about what the bike needs um the really nice thing about our rental fleet is that all you have to do is go uh online to owenhouse.com and you can and there's a tab for the demo the, the demo fleet and the live inventory is right there hmm. um and so one of the things that I, uh that we all that we always need to make people aware of is that you need to, if you're going to, if you're going to book a demo bike, um, you have to do it. You can't do it for the same day. The only way you can do it same day is to come in and see us. Mm -hmm. um, so you just got to plan ahead a little bit and make sure that you're, you know, renting it for either the next weekend or the next couple of days. Um, but the really nice thing is that you can see the live inventory right there for what we've got in stock at the moment. Excellent. Well, Jason, thanks again for being on the podcast. Super helpful information to get everyone out there riding and uh, being safe this season. Uh, Brian, thanks to you for, you know, getting this book out there and, you know, helping to keep people educated because I know there's lots of people that are interested in it. So, um, you know, you're the conduit. So we appreciate that as well, man. Thanks for listening. Tune back into Outdoors to hear more from the groups that make mountain biking in the Bozeman area thrive. Go to thelastbestbike.com for more information on the book coming out this summer and where to pre-order. Until next time, happy trails.